uh, I would dream that, that San Francisco could be a place where uh, all of our young people, whatever neighborhood they're in, whatever background they come from, that they could be able to thrive here, that they would have adequate amount of support and an opportunity to live here in the future if they, if they want to. It's a San Francisco that um, really could be a sanctuary again for people anywhere in the world that need a new place to be themselves and to live with dignity. To reach those goals, we need to work hard to elect people to the Board of Supervisors who are willing to dive in and do the work, which is what people like Supervisor Haney and Ronan and Preston have been doing. I think most importantly, we have to have an executive branch, the mayor's office, that is willing to do that work. And I, I don't think we've had it for the last four mayors. Hello, everyone. This is Honey Mahogany. Welcome to Stud Stories. Stud Stories is a queer history podcast that focuses on the stud bar in San Francisco. Through Stud Stories and stories about the stud, we will talk about our queer history in San Francisco and the world. We're going to talk to historians, DJs, drag queens, owners, workers, and patrons. But today, we are talking about politics because we have an incredibly important election coming up on November 3rd, 2020, which is in just a few weeks. This podcast is being recorded the night after the first presidential debate and will likely air the day of the second presidential debate. So this is very timely. Hey everyone, this is Tara Haywood, the editor and producer of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening in as always. I just wanted to make a note for this episode that we were very grateful to have the supervisors and Nate Albee join us. However, being that we're so close to election day and they're all very busy, you will hear occasionally some notifications from their computers and phones uh, that made it into the recording. So bear with us and thanks again for supporting. With us today, we have three local leaders, political strategist Nate Albee and supervisors Hillary Ronan and Matt Haney. Welcome. Thank you, honey. Hi, honey. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we usually only have one guest at a time, so um, we're going to do this a little differently. We're going to go in alphabetical order by last name. And please just give us a brief introduction, starting with Nate Albee. Um, so, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I am a political strategist in San Francisco. Um, I work to elect um, people on the left um, and progressives. Um, I am also a uh, founder of the Stud Bar. Matt, you're next. Uh, hi. Um, so I am the supervisor of District 6, uh, which includes uh, Tenderloin, South of Market, Rincon Hill, Mission Bay, Treasure Island. Uh, I have been the supervisor here for a little over a year and a half. Uh, before that, I practiced tenant law. I worked as a community organizer, um, and I was a, uh, the president of the school board for a number of years. Uh, born and raised in the Bay Area, and I live in the Tenderloin. Hi, my name's Hillary. It's such a pleasure to be here uh, in conversation with three of my favorite people. I'm the supervisor of District 9, which includes Mission, Bernal Heights, and the Portola neighborhoods of San Francisco. And before that, I was a worker and immigrant rights attorney and organizer, and um, I'm a mom of a seven-year-old living in Bernal Heights. Thank you for those introductions. We are going to get to uh, get a little bit deeper in just a second. And Supervisor Ronan, since we ended introductions with you, why don't we start with you for our questions? So our first question is, what made you decide to run for office? And what was the first thing that you ran for? Um, I uh, a little guy that I had the pleasure of working with for a long time. I guess he's not that little, uh, especially after living in New Orleans uh, for a while <laughs> under quarantine. Um, but Nate Albee, <laughs> my, uh, my uh, soul brother, uh, harassed me for a good year and a half and told me 
that if we wanted to continue the amazing, progressive, uh, practical, useful work in District 9, then I had to run. And I said, I have no interest in running whatsoever. This was not my life stream. I do not want to do it. And he said, fine, then give District 9 away to Ed Lee's cronies and let them destroy it. And continued to guilt trip me and use his Mormon upbringing and belief that we have a duty to work towards justice. And uh, after a year and a half of uh, being harassed, cajoled, guilt tripped into running, I decided to run for District 9 supervisor. And here I am. <laughs> first first time running, first time winning. Uh, and now it looks like it'll be a 2-4 because I'm running unopposed. Nice. So uh, <laughs> looks like I have another another term in place. So you can all blame Nate Alby if uh, I've, don't I've like never the job heard that I'm story. <laughs> true. A hundred percent true. <laughs> It might, it might be true. It might be true. The things that Nate Albee gets us into. Um, moving on, Supervisor Haney, <laughs> same questions. Um, wh- what made you decide to run for office and what was the first thing that you ran for? Well, I, uh, Nate Albee uh, did not enter my life until a few years later uh, from the first time I ran for office. But I'm sure if he was around, he would have pushed me into this one, too. Um, I ran for uh, the school board in 2012, and uh, I ran uh, for a few reasons. Um, one is I, I really believe that, you know, as a city or as a community that um, we should be judged by and defined by uh, the opportunities that we provide for our kids. And in San Francisco, um, we have the potential and opportunity to do a lot better than we are. Uh, this is, you know, a place with huge amounts of wealth, uh, huge amounts of technology and innovation and everything else. Um, yet we don't do a very good job of sharing it with our children in the city. Um, I had worked in schools. I had a master master's in education. I had spent a lot of time in San Francisco public schools. Um, so I ran to try to bridge the gap uh, between what was happening and what I thought was possible for our young people and. We still have a ways to go, but I served. I, I served six years on the on the school board, uh, including as uh, the president of the board, and then I didn't run for supervisor until six years after that in 2018. And it was in that point that uh, Nate Alby was was an important part of the conversation um, and uh, really helped helped help me get to where I am now. Well, this podcast series, Stud Stories, is centered around the history and community that surround the Stud Bar, which until recently was in District 6 for the past 54 years. Supervisor Haney, if you could pick one word to describe your district, what would it be and why? Uh, hmm, one word. Uh, I would say dynamic. Uh, it is a district that is in constant change uh, that that is in constant movement. Um, I think it's the, the, the part of San Francisco that has experienced the most growth, uh, that has experienced, I think, the most change, that has actually brought a lot of innovation and, and positive change and cultural change and um, really transformational change in our culture uh, uh, in this district. And so, um, you you never know what you're going to experience or what you're going to see um, on any block of, of District 6. It's always changing, even as you go from one block to the next. Um, some of it good, some of it bad. Uh, but it is it is one of the most dynamic places, I think, not just in San Francisco, but in the, in the country. Supervisor Ronan, same question. What word would you pick and why? I think I'd say hot. Um, And I'd say hot because there is so much going on here all the time. People that are very passionate on all sides of issues in every neighborhood. And um, it's it's alive. It's a district with uh, passion and art and music and politics uh, in every uh, way, shape or form. You've got you've got the mission. Um, with a strong uh, Latinx culture, people from all over 
Central and South America and the Caribbean, um, bringing their you know cultural flair and excitement to 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 the neighborhood. You've got uh, the Portola District, one of the only uh, real sort of working class neighborhoods that still exists in San Francisco. That is so diverse um, and so active yet. Uh, really down to earth still. Um, and then you've got Bernal Heights, which, you know, is the sleepiest of the three neighborhoods in many ways uh, and, and certainly has a lot of a lot of money, but at the same time continues to be one of the most progressive neighborhoods in the entire country. Uh, you know, it was sort of a hotbed of communism uh, back in the day and, and never lost that uh, really entrenched left politics. Um, so wherever you go in District Nine, it is uh, it's hot and it's and it's active and it's alive and it's passionate and it's it's fun. I love that. Well, we're going to shift perspective for a second from local to national politics. Last night's debate was a lot. Um, I was actually going to skip watching it because I feel like. I have enough anxiety in my everyday life without having to watch another thing that was going to depress me further. But um, my housemates were having a watch party in the living room. So I joined in watching while while my partner and I were making dinner, actually. And my partner was uh, pointedly not watching the debate, uh, both because he was taking the lead cooking, but also because I think he can't stand listening to Donald Trump. Um, but for me the debate was pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. It was like watching a Real Housewives reunion episode, but instead of it being sort of lighthearted entertainment, um, the state of our country and world were on the line. Um, For me, Biden did fine. He met my expectations pretty much on the mark. Um, He's clearly the sane, stable alternative who is far more center field than I would like, but whom I hope to God will actually inspire sane Republicans to cross party lines. Trump to me actually seemed far more worried than Biden in some ways. The expression on his face looked like he could actually see the bars of a cell closing in on him. I was living for that, inshallah. And yet somehow I felt like he still did what he always does which is undermine the truth and insert his own narrative so loudly and repetitively that the truth somehow gets lost in all of that. Nate, we haven't gotten to you yet, but as a lead political strategist in one of the most competitively democratic cities in the country, what was your take on last night's debate? Um, Last night's debate scared the shit out of me. Um, I... Uh, for, for two reasons. So, you know, I, I'm a political strategist, but um, I'm also going to school uh, for linguistics, and how the language people use and and the messaging that people use is something that I, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about. And last night, I saw two things pretty clearly. One, um, Trump made it very clear that he is not going to accept the results of our election, and that we are for the first time in American history. Um, going to face a leader who's going to refuse to step down. And I also thought that Biden made very clear that he is not up to the task of dealing with a uh, totalitarian president who is going to try and steal the election. Um, so I, I left being pretty scared and listening to the pundits afterwards was surprised that the focus was not 100% on the fact that Trump said without a shadow of the doubt that he is not going to accept the results of our democratic election. So, um, yeah, I, I guess the one word I would describe would be, you know, pretty terrified. Yeah. Would uh, either of you like to jump in and comment on last night's debate, Hillary and Matt? Uh well, I, I I agree with Nate uh, in some ways. I you know in other ways it just feels like we've just gotten so used to how awful and ridiculous and hateful and cruel uh, Donald Trump is that it just is not surprising anymore. I mean, there was nothing 
that he did or said during the debate last night that he doesn't do or say, you know, every time he opens his mouth. Uh, so it, it it did make me sort of think about what what it's going to be like for us to try to hopefully sooner rather than later um, get back some semblance of what leadership looks like, what integrity looks like, what n- not having someone who, you know, with all due respect to seventh grade bullies, acts like a seventh grade bully um, and is the president of the United States. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just is so he's just normalized this type of behavior that if anybody else did it, if your boss did it, they, they you would report them. You know, if if a teacher did it, they would get fired. If if literally anybody else acted like that, uh, they would they would be dismissed from whatever they're doing. And yet, this person who's supposed to represent us at the highest level is doing it um, on the on the biggest stage. And so, I, I just I worry about what that does to just the way people treat each other generally, not just politicians. Like. What does that mean for how kids act towards each other? How to how we just interact as human beings? You know, I mean, just taking aside politics out of it, Joe Biden, you know, had a son that died recently, uh, and Donald Trump was dismissive of it. He was he was hateful towards him in ways that is just like not the way humans should be interacting with each other so i some of that really got to me you know the politics we deal with and is scary on a normal basis for reasons that nate described but just like you don't act like that you know right that 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 was what i that what what i left from it thinking you know what 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 example that sets for everyone For me, I, it's so funny because I, my expectations for Biden's performance were so low and I just had a knot in my stomach the whole time saying, please don't do something, you know, awful, like forgetting your own name or, you know, something, you know, that that was going to just reveal him for, 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 for being as not ready for this job as Trump. Um, and he didn't do that to me. He did well for for him. Like I, I think he, uh, it, it was so impossible to be on that stage with 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 that nightmare of a person. I think he struck Biden struck the right balance of, you know, trying to maintain some dignity and decorum while being bullied and standing up to the bully enough to be credible. I, you know, I, I actually think. Biden for Biden performed extremely well. Um, I think uh, similar to Nate that the fact that these two people are the best this nation can come up with to represent both parties shows that we are just not, um, you know, where we once were as a country on a world stage that are, you know, capitalist system has gotten us to a point where uh, we've just we've destroyed uh, ourselves and our own democracy and you know I'm on the edge of my seat in terms of what's going to happen no matter who wins the 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 popular and electoral vote uh, because Trump's clearly going to be, you know, hanging for dear life on to the the pillars of the White House and not be taken out or not be not leave willingly. And, I, you know, I don't know where we're going to go from here, but having such deep inequality and structural racism and 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 homophobia and, and all of these systems that have torn us apart, degraded us, uh, kept us from uniting from all these years has led us to this crisis point that we're in. It, I, I try every day to find the hope that we're that we're going to get out of it. But uh, like like Nate, I, I'm very fearful. Yeah, I mean, and to me, it's I, I think that there's a tendency with the left to diminish Trump and because Trump is so clearly mentally 
not there, right? Like he 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 himself is doesn't feel like a threat because he's so absurd. But there are people and conservatives and far right conservatives that are working behind him. There are strategists, there are think tanks, and there's clearly a strategy for the election that they're putting forward. And he he made it very clear last night. One of the one of the things that uh, I think was most terrifying was he called for people to come to the polls. So he called for his people to come and 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 physically be at the polls to protect against a, a stealing of the election. And that is no one should mistake that that is anything other than a call for armed right wing conservatives to come and harass people at the polls. This is something that Republicans um, did all the way up until the 80s when they passed laws making it illegal. That law was struck down by the Supreme Court recently, and now um, people are going to be able to come armed uh, to harass people at the polls. That was one thing that I think was uh, very clear about his plan. Two is he is making it so that um, the, the conservatives are making it so that there we will know what people's votes are um, by how they vote. So he he called on his people multiple times to vote at the uh, at, at the polls, and um, he also is undermining the whole uh, nature of mail-in ballots. So what they're hoping for is that on election day, they'll be able to invalidate any ballot that is mailed in, knowing that it will not be a vote for Trump. So there's a clear strategy here. It's harass people at the polls, invalidate all mail-in ballots, and um, declare Trump the winner winner on election day. And it's it's it's... It's not about Trump being badly behaved. It's about a whole political apparatus that is working hard to steal our election in November. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I would also just push back on the one part of, you know, Trump being kind of an idiot or incompetent because he is those things, but he's almost, he's kind of savant-like in that he is kind of a genius when it comes to being able to manipulate the media and in, in providing messaging, right? I think that that a lot of that is him. Um, he may have people helping him, but he just has this natural talent for it. I mean, his doggedness around it, I think, speaks to that. Um, so, I, and I think that's the combination that makes him dangerous: is this sort of like, you know, lack of empathy and, um, you know, lack of decency, and he's in, inhumane and seems incapable of thinking of others, um, and yet has this genius when it comes to manipulation and. Um, and, and communication, I guess. So um, I, I know that we could probably talk and dissect this for a full hour, if not longer, um, but I want to concentrate on something that is a little more hopeful, which is what is happening on the local level. So tying it back to San Francisco, um, let's talk about what's on the local ballot this November. Specifically, right now, I, um, around covid um, the response and recovery after months of ongoing global health pandemic that has plagued San Francisco, not just San Francisco, but the entire world. Um, again, under a president that doesn't actually seem to care what happens to people as long as he ends up on top. Um, so in response to that, what does the city of San Francisco need to do to make sure that we stay on top of COVID and stay on the right track? Maybe we can start with um, Supervisor Ronan. Well, you know, it's such a tough balance of figuring out how to reopen an economy that is in such desperate need of reopening. I mean, small businesses, uh, including the stud, are, are, are suffering in ways that are unprecedented. And there's, you know, only so long that these businesses can hang on without an influx of help from the federal government. Um, you know, we need that 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 second round of care act, care act, and we're not clearly not getting it before the election. And who knows if we'll get it after? Um, and so, you know, I think at a local level, uh, we're all struggling with. We want to protect people from getting the virus, and at the same time. 
we don't want to destroy the entire arts and entertainment and you know community and and small business community. Um, so there's there's that line and and you know uh, we're we're treading it and walking it you know th- threading that needle pretty carefully. Um, at the same time, you know the the, the people suffering the most from COVID are. Uh, vulnerable communities, especially the Latinx community. And, um, you know, we need to be doing more to direct our interventions towards the communities that are the ones that are suffering. Um, So, you know, uh, up until recently, uh, you know, there's been testing all over the city, but, you know, nothing's changed in terms of DPH's strategy when it became clear very quickly that more than 50% of the positive cases are in the Latinx community. Um, There hasn't been resources focused on that community, again, until recently. So, uh, you know, we need to continue to make that shift where we are focusing the attention and the resources that we have at the local level on the communities uh, that are are getting uh, sick from this virus, and and no shock there, communities of color, poor communities, are the ones that are getting hit the hardest. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we are experiencing now is that there's going to be an increasing reopening. Uh, today, uh, September 30th, is the first day of. Uh, indoor dining opening in San Francisco, 25% of capacity. Uh, you know, there's obviously some level of excitement among some folks uh, who just need the support. Um, I was at a cafe this morning where they were just, you know, excited that they were going to be able to put a couple tables out because people, they said, have been coming in and uh, wanting to eat in. And when they're told no, no, they leave. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of trepidation and concern about the safety of uh, particularly the indoor activities. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more pressure to, do, to allow more and more of it. Um, and what, we're, what we need, uh, and uh, Supervisor Ronan touched on this, is we need to make sure that the economic support is there so that people who are vulnerable uh, are able to stay home, protect themselves, still access hotels if they need to quarantine, um, all of the things that we did early on uh, that did work that need to be maintained because the risk is not gone. The risk is in many ways is as great, if not greater, particularly as we as we have more and more people doing things outdoors uh, and inside. So that's the fear that I have where we are opening up but not doubling down on the on the measures that kept vulnerable people uh, protected, uh, workers, people who are homeless. Um, and if we don't do those things, I think I think we could see a, another spike. Um, so I, I think that's the most important focus that we have right now. Well, part of being a member of the Board of Supervisors is that you get to propose things for the ballot. Uh, so my question to you is, which ballot measures have you worked on or co-sponsored? We're, we are encouraging everyone to vote yes on all of the measures on the local ballot. Um, for all of the the de- de- divisiveness and, and conflict at the national level and wherever else, um, the, on the local ballot, we were actually able to put forward a set of initiatives that we think uh, both bring in essential needed revenue for us to really strengthen our COVID response and also increase accountability and expand our democracy in various ways. Uh, the two that are most important to me that I've worked on and, and Supervisor Ronan has worked on very closely as well are Proposition B and Proposition L. Uh, Proposition L is a uh, uh, overpaid executive tax that would allow us to bring in you know, up to $140 million from companies that are doing so well that they're still paying their executives tens of millions of dollars in many cases and would allow us to hire uh, nurses and emergency responders, particularly as we think about preventing the, this second spike of, of COVID. And then Proposition B is uh, would create a Department of Sanitation and Streets. Uh, Honey is, is actually the, the, the biggest expert and champion for this measure and uh, would, you know, finally, I, I hope, 
uh, get us to a point where we can have clean streets in San Francisco, which really is needed now more than ever, uh, particularly with COVID and the, and the threat of the pandemic. Uh, and but obviously for anyone who lives or works or visits Soma or the Tenderloin or downtown San Francisco knows that this was uh, or the Mission <laughs> or, or District 9 knows that this is a, a, an issue that has long plagued uh, uh, the city and has gotten worse. What are some of the things that you would say to um, people who have heard from opponents of the measure? Like what are some of the arguments you have? Um, well, let me let me reframe this. What are some of the things that have come up um, in opposition to the measure uh, that you would like to address? Okay. Well, let's start with Prop L because I think that one's. I think the the one thing that people keep saying about um, Proposition L is that it's a bad time to tax businesses. That this is going to drive businesses away from San Francisco. Um, that com- big companies that employ a lot of people are, are going to leave. Um, what do you have to say to that? Well, the truth is that this has been a very challenging time for small businesses uh, who are struggling. And when they've needed help, they've gone to our city, who often has told them that we don't have any resources for them. Uh, But it has not been a bad time for big businesses. Uh, Big businesses uh, have made more money than ever. The stock market is at higher levels than it's ever been. Billionaires have added uh, over $600 billion to their uh, wealth. And so the imbalance between, you know, having over 40 million people nationally, you know, unemployed people in San Francisco, unable to pay the rent, uh, nurses uh, and emergency responders being cut, and then also having this massive wealth in our city, which is concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people, I think is something that uh, is has been a brutal uh, inequity, but has only become more brutal at a time when we need everyone to step up and we need these billionaires to step up. So they're gonna be fine. Um, they're not gonna leave the this, this city because of uh, you know, a modest increase in the taxes that is so modest, you know, it's, 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 it's only on companies that pay their top executives a hundred times their typical worker. Uh, this is a massive disparity that actually has a lot of costs that it imposes on the city. So uh, we need a little bit more help from them and, and mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in uh, in San Francisco is is shedding a tear over the struggles of billionaires right now. They're actually doing pretty much better than they've ever done at a time when most people are struggling. And I would I would just add to that, honey, that um, I've been watching these revenue measures and and you know ballot measures that would increase fees on on big business for you know 10, 15 years in the city. And sometimes we're running these measures during a recession. Sometimes we're running these measures during massive boom times. Sometimes we're running these measures now during a pandemic. And it doesn't matter what the situation, the big businesses will say, this is not the right time <laughs> to tax big business. They'll say, if, if, if it's boom time, they'll say, you know, uh, history shows that boom times only last for this many years. And so if you tax this, then it'll, you know, send us into a recession. If you're in a recession, they say it's a recession you can't tax. So, you know, if you're a big business, uh, you use the same line no matter what is going on with the economy. And so I call BS on on it every single time. Mm. I I. I also think what's great about Prop L is um, it's really both sides of San Francisco's political aisle are supporting it. It's it's pretty unanimous. So um, th- Prop L is, even though it is a is a tax the rich to uh, uh, allow the city to uh, take that money to hire more nurses and doctors and emergency responders, um, people across the board are uh, supporting it. Mm-hmm. What about Proposition B? Um, I think the it's it's interesting to me because the official uh, ballot argument opposed to this measure is actually authored by um, a representative of the Republican Party, who um, you know historically that or throughout the last few years the Trump administration has been very loud about how filthy the streets in San Francisco are, and yet the Republican Party is also criticizing attempts to to change the status quo here. Um, 
the arguments that they make are that the measure is expensive, um, that it will cost an additional $2 million um, out of an $11 billion budget, um, and that it, and why create a new department when the city should just be doing its job? I'm obviously giving you some very leading questions here because I worked directly on this measure, <laughs> but also because I think some of these are really ridiculous, but go ahead. Tell us why they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, the, right. I mean, the, the, the irony of, of these folks who spend all their time attacking our city for, uh, for filthy streets and then we try to do something to solve it, and then they're the first ones, and in some cases, the only ones to stand up and say we're against it. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, they they don't believe in government, and they have this ridiculous idea that um, if we just got rid of government of all kinds, that somehow everything would be perfect and uh, and the streets would be clean. Um, I, you know, the logic of that obviously doesn't add up at all. Um, the truth is that we can uh, do better in our city. Uh, but we have to have a structure of government that is accountable, that has real oversight. We actually have to strengthen uh, government in order to get the job done uh, by cutting it down and whittling it down. We're not going to actually get, you know, get the job done. So, uh, I, you know, I do. Yeah, it is, it is pretty ironic that it's the Republicans who are opposing this. Um, this is a smart measure. I mean, you know, we should spend our money well. You know, progressive government should mean accountable government. It should be government that is not corrupt. Um, corrupt government is what is what Donald Trump does. Um, corrupt government is what we need to be rooting out, and and that's what uh, Prop B will do. It will both address uh, the, the the challenge that we've had of an adequate focus uh, and 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 structure that can clean the streets well, um, and also make sure that we address corruption at the same time. Uh, the last, the, the public works director, five counts of corruption charged by the U.S. attorney. Every day, another person is getting charged in this in this scandal. And if, if someone thinks that we should leave the status quo the way it is, they should vote against Prop B uh, because uh, a, a no on this measure will leave DPW exactly the way it is now, which is both corrupt uh, and failing uh, to clean the streets. Yeah, I would just uh, underscore the irony of the fact that, you know, it's the same people who complain about conferences leaving San Francisco and the fact that our travel industry, our number one industry in the city is suffering due to the state of our streets are also the same people who would oppose this measure that is actually going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's it's really a common sense measure. So we have cities you know, all over America who have a fraction of our budget. We are the second wealthiest um, city in in the United States right after New York. And our streets are filthy. Anybody who's walked outside in San Francisco will tell you it's a serious, serious problem with trash and feces on our streets. But uh, cities like Detroit and New Orleans, who, who don't even come close to our budget, are able to keep their streets clean. And it's really just common sense. Those cities have a dedicated department of streets and sanitation that clean their streets. And San Francisco doesn't. Somewhere along the lines, we never created this department who is held accountable for keeping our streets clean. And that's why Supervisor Haney's um, Prop B is just common sense measure to actually get the job done. Um, Which other propositions, if any, are most crucial to our COVID-19 recovery? Well, I would say, you know, anything bringing in revenue uh, to the to the city, um, uh, like uh, Supervisor Haney and Nate said about um, uh, Prop L and the need to hire more doctors and nurses and, and make sure that we have the capacity in the hospitals, uh, you know, that we're going to need no matter how high the spike uh, is it is essential, and we we just don't have that capacity that we need right now, especially if there's a, a significant spike. Um, so that's number one. But uh, Prop F, the the business tax overhaul, uh, overall will bring in additional revenue as well. Uh, you know, thankfully the courts decided. Prop C in our favor, so we've been we've unlocked uh, the money for homelessness through Prop C, whether or not Prop F passes. But it will also unlock the money for the Baby C, which is uh, childcare and and uh, support for families, which we know I, I, as a mother of a seven year old right now, 
what we're expecting of working families to be full-time educators as well as do their normal jobs is is insane. It's it's not only insane, it's impossible. And so childcare is, you know, as important as it's always been right now. And then in addition uh, to unlocking that money, and, and by unlocking, I'll just explain briefly, uh, the voters already pra- passed both big C and little c, big C for homelessness and little c for uh, child care, but uh, the the Howard Jarvis Association, an anti-tax organization, sued the city. And while we go through the several year appeals of those lawsuits, uh, the controller doesn't allow the city to spend the money that we're collecting from those initiatives that passed. And so what Prop F does is it it it, it unlocks those funds because we're in a 50 plus one year on the ballot, meaning if if Prop F passes with 50 plus one percent of the vote, uh, that's sufficient to unlock the money. I hope that made sense. I hope I explained that well. If not, maybe Nate can give it another try. <laughs> but um, uh, and then in addition to that, it, it, it very modestly raises the business tax uh, uh, that, that will raise an additional, you know, around $100 million a year. You know, that money is going to go directly into uh, helping with all the COVID release, relief funds from, you know, the zero interest loans and grants to small businesses to the Right to Recover program that I created that gives any individual who tests positive for COVID uh, but doesn't have uh, a- enough money, savings, or sick leave to safely quarantine gets paid uh, for two weeks of work uh, by the city. You know, these 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 programs that that, that uh, not only encourage people to get tested because they know they'll get help if if the worst case scenario comes to pass, uh, but but helps stop the spread of the disease. We can only do that to, to the extent that we have additional revenue coming in because uh, our, our regular tax base has shrunk quite significantly because because of the pandemic and the shutdown. So, um, you know, Prop F is essential. Prop L, we've already talked about. Uh, Prop I, the real estate transfer tax. Crucial, crucial uh, item, Supervisor Dean Preston's bill. So it would it would increase the 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 transfer tax for properties that that sell for ten million or more. That will go directly into a uh, rent relief fund. Part of the money part will go for for new affordable housing and and social housing. But part of it is that we know that the minute that the eviction moratoriums, uh, you know, uh, are, are no longer in place that we're going to see mass evictions because people have not been able to pay rent during uh, the period that they've not been able to work um, during this quarantine. And so uh, if we pass Prop I, we're going to have a fund to help people stay in their homes and to not get evicted. Uh, so so these are the ones that, that are on, on, on the top of my mind. Uh, although, you know, again, this is a yes only local ballot. So every single one of them has their merits. And uh, uh, whether it's Prop A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, two, two things that I want to um, talk about are Props uh, D and E, and we can just address them briefly. But you know, the country has seen a resurgence of... Uh, protests against police brutality. Um, The Black Lives Matter movement has seen a resurgence. People are still incredibly upset over um, people who have been um, killed by police, including Breonna Taylor, um, whose uh, uh, murderers recently were were, um, not found guilty of killing her. Um, So Prop D and E are, um, D is the sheriff oversight measure and E is the police staffing measure. Do either of you or Nate, do you want to talk about these two? Sure. Uh, Well, you know, Prop D, um, you know, uh, San Francisco has an interesting uh, structure of, you know, sort of the distribution of law enforcement. Obviously, we have the SFPD and with SFPD, we have the police commission. uh, But the San Francisco Sheriff's Department actually uh, provides the law enforcement not only in our jails, but also uh, at 
our hospitals, at our public buildings. Um, they uh, have, um, you know, uh, an important role uh, in terms of uh, law enforcement in the city, yet they don't have an oversight body that can investigate, that can uh, provide any sort of uh, discipline, that can, when there are, you know, larger issues, there's been situations where they've been engaged in, you know, fight clubs at the jail and just awful, horrendous stuff. And there hasn't been anywhere except for the elected sheriff himself to provide the investigation. So basic basic concept of, of law enforcement uh, oversight is that the people who um, may have done something wrong shouldn't be investigating themselves. Um, yet that's what's happening with the sheriff. So Prop D would create an oversight structure so that uh, similar to the police commission and the Department of Police Accountability for SFPD, that we would uh, not allow sheriffs to investigate themselves and that you have uh, an outside uh, uh, oversight body that can uh, provide that um, that structure. Can either of you speak to the police staffing measure? Sure. It, th- this is just a, a, a common sense, simple uh, measure that for some reason in our charter, uh, there is a staffing minimum of, I believe it's a 1,972, if I'm correct, um, that we must have uh, full-time uh, sworn officers at that level at all times. Uh, the, the, the history of how that particular number got in our charter and what it was based on is is really fuzzy. Um, but it's 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 random. Nobody, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Doesn't it doesn't rise or fall based on population, uh, etc. And so this this measure, uh, Prop E, would just remove that random number from our charter and say that it's the job of the board of supervisors, the mayor, the police commission to set the staffing rate um, of of sworn officers in the city and county of San Francisco. It, in, in practicality, we've been violating the law for, for many, 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 many years. We haven't actually had 1,900 plus uh, sworn officers um, in our police department. We, we, we couldn't even hire them if, if we wanted them. But it's always a talking point of the POA uh, and, and the department itself whenever we try to cut uh, the department when we don't need those officers and we should take away that, that, that talking point. It's hard enough uh, to, to cut the police department. We, we don't need to uh, give them any fuel uh, to their, their advocacy. Mm-hmm. We have just a few minutes left in this podcast, and I actually wanted to shift gears just slightly um, and ask you this next question, which is, what is your dream version of San Francisco? I know that's a big question, but try as you can to keep your answers relatively brief um, because there will be a follow-up question. So perhaps we can start with Supervisor Haney. Sure. Uh, well, I guess I, I'll, I'll say something that kind of connected to what first uh, drove me to run for office, um, which I mentioned when I ran for school board, um, which is I would love, uh, I would dream that, that San Francisco could be a place where uh, all of our young people, uh, you know, wherever, whatever neighborhood they're in, whatever um, background they come from, that they could be able to thrive here, that they would have um, adequate amount of support and um, and uh, and an opportunity to live here in the future if they if they want to right now we our city is one where it is very very challenging uh, to raise a family here it's hard to stay here um, and if you're a young person and you do everything right and you graduate from school here uh, the opportunities that you have here as an adult are very few because we are still a city where um, for the most part, um, if you don't have a lot of money, um, this is a, a very challenging place to be. And I, I, you know, I think that we would we would love San Francisco even more um, if it were a place where you didn't have to be a billionaire uh, to live here and to thrive here. Um, it is a constant battle right now, obviously even before COVID, just to make it in San Francisco, and that falls most heavily on 
black and brown communities, on families, on kids, uh, on small businesses. And uh, that's what all of us are fighting to change. But it'd be great if we if we got there and, and, and that would be a dream. Supervisor Ronan? Yeah, my, my dream San Francisco is, you know, uh, has existed in, in many ways at many times in the past, but it's a San Francisco that um, really could be a sanctuary again for people anywhere in the world that, uh, you know, need a new place to be themselves and to live with dignity. And um, it's been that for, uh, you know, Latino immigrants fleeing uh, civil wars in, in Central America uh, and poverty all, all over the global South. It's been that way for the queer community um, and for kids that uh, have were kicked out of their homes or, or, or uh, brutalized for, for just wanting to be who they are. Um, and e- even people like me who grew up in Los Angeles and just didn't feel like it was my place uh, coming to San Francisco and just being around so many people that shared my values and um, that sparked my imagination. Um, it, 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 it used to be that way much more than it is today. And, and it all comes down to uh, affordability and, um, and also, you know, uh, a, a, an atmosphere of of being proud of being the accepted, accepting, quirky, uh, uh, diverse place that we are, and um, you know, I, I I'd love to 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 get back to to that place and even become uh, deeper of that place. Mm-hmm. And the question to bring us home, I think, is how do we get there? How do we get to that vision of San Francisco that you both described? And Nate, please feel free to also chime in. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I think that both of those visions are in reach. Um, as somebody who you know works to get people elected, one of the things that I, I tell my, my clients is when you get into City Hall, you will be shocked to realize that the problems that San Francisco have are there because we are not working on them. It, it, I think one of the, one of the reasons why um, the city is so unable to fix our entrenched problems like homelessness, like poverty, like filthy streets, um, like corruption, is the idea that these problems are so complicated they can't be solved. And that's just patently untrue. When you are in City Hall, you realize that what's stopping us from achieving our goals is that we have departments and uh, city workers who are so entrenched in a culture of um, corruption and uh, a culture of throwing up your hands and saying we can't solve the problem. Um, And to me, to reach those goals, we need to um, work hard to elect people to the board of supervisors who are willing to to dive in and do the work, which is um, what people like supervisor... Haney and Ronan and Preston um, have been doing, and uh, and we, I think, most importantly, we have to um, have an executive branch, uh, the mayor's office, that is willing to do that work. And I, I don't think we've had it for um, the last four mayors. Would uh, either of you supervisors like to add anything to that? You know, you know I, I think, think that San Francisco has been taken by by, uh, the perceived benefits of growth uh, at all costs. And we have really, you know, added a huge amount of commercial development and big tech companies and and all of that. Um, But we haven't put as much time and energy into making sure that as we do that, we do it in a way that creates that, that type, type of San Francisco, Francisco that, that, that we are dreaming of, that we, that we are doing in a balanced way, that we're asking enough from them and taxes, that we are ensuring that the people who live here or that are coming here for refuge uh, have, have access or opportunities in those spaces. 
Um, I, I, you know, I, I mentioned the, the, how dynamic and, and different my district is from block to block. You know, at the same time that we have added untold, unimaginable wealth uh, in, in south of Market and parts of Market Street, uh, just on the other side, just literally, you know, blocks away in the Tenderloin, um, things have not gotten better. They have not benefited from that. So there's, there's an imbalance. And so I think that we are going to have to have a reckoning here around what it takes to build the kind of city for everyone that we want and how to balance that out and not just go for what has become the lowest common denominator of just give us as much, as much, as much, as much of everything um, as, 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 we can, as we can take because that, uh, that hasn't worked. And I think, I think now we have an opportunity with some big changes uh, that we're living through um, to, to rethink some of that. And, and I hope that we, we take the opportunity to do it. Supervisor Ronan, any final words? Yes, I mean, I, I, I think, um, I do think it's it's achievable, and I, I agree with both um, Matt and Nate that we can we can reach our visions, and the way we would do it is exactly what Matt and I did with Mental Health SF. We, um, when you know, going around and studying the whole system and talking to everyone who was part of it, and asking them why were people cycling in and out of uh, emergency psych services and jail and right back out on the streets over and over and never getting help. And when nobody could articulate what was going on, other than, you know, kind of simplistic answers like there's not enough beds, uh, but, but nothing deep, nothing. They couldn't even explain the system, let alone say what was wrong with it. Nat and I sat down with a group of frontline providers, nurses, social workers, uh, et cetera. And we put a bunch of butcher paper all over the wall. And we said, stop thinking about what exists. Don't think about money as an object. Just design a system that would work, that would work to get people off the streets, into care and keep them there, even if they fall off the wagon bring them back in. What would that look like? And piece by piece, uh, you know, over over a year long, getting, a, you know, enormous amount of input from the real experts, we designed Mental Health SF. And then after the fact, we costed it out and we fought and we, we, we got it funded. Um, you know, we often just limit ourselves and our own imagination so much by saying things are unrealistic or not possible or too expensive without taking the time to step back and just say, well, what would a system that work look like? And we've got to do a, a hell of a, a lot more of that and, and, and take any problem, public transportation, um, you know, the economy and how to diversify it. So it's not only tech that we rise and fall with, but but a, a much more diverse economy that allows, uh, you know, workers of different skills and interests to to, to thrive and, 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 and be successful in the economy. We can do it with every single uh, issue. Matt did it with, and, and you, honey, did it with the, the, the sanitation department and how to just do something as simple as keep our streets clean. None of this stuff is rocket science. It's, it's, it's about having an imagination, having a belief that we can do things differently, and then sitting down and bringing the right people to the table uh, to create new ideas and systems and visions that work. Well, I could talk to you all for hours, um, but I know that you're all very busy. So thank you so much for joining us for our little podcast, Stud Stories. It is absolutely inspiring to hear about the things that our elected officials are working on to help us all get through this crisis and to hear about your dreams for the city and for the future. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, honey. Bye. This podcast was originally scheduled to come out the day of the second presidential debate. But since this has been recorded, Trump has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and has refused to participate in a virtual event, effectively canceling the second presidential debate. 
We are just a few weeks away from election day. So if you've got your ballot in the mail already, what are you waiting for? Send it in ASAP. You can drop it in the mail or drop it off at your nearest early voting place. If you're NSF, you can early vote or drop off your ballot in front of City Hall this year. If you're registered to vote in San Francisco and unsure of who or what to vote for, consider looking at the following voter guides. San Francisco Democratic Party, sfdemocrats.org, League of Pissed Off Voters, theleaguesf.org, Harvey Milk Club, milkclub.org, and the Queer Agenda at juanitamore.com. Thank you all for listening to Stud Stories. If you liked this episode and don't want to miss any future stud stories, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take the time to rate and review us. Your reviews and ratings help keep us up there in the iTunes ranking, which means more rad queers and new listeners can find us. If you really want to support the stud and help this legendary queer bar find its forever home, please subscribe to our Patreon account. Patreon subscribers get early access to stud stories, special access to our archival research materials, and more. To get your very own stud sweatshirt, t-shirt, or tank, or to find out about new merch and all the other stud updates, please visit our website, studsf.com. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, since we can't party with you in person right now, we invite you to join us every Saturday for our weekly virtual drag show, Drag Alive, at twitch.tv slash drag alive. Stud Stories is produced and edited by Tara Haywood, written and produced by Vivienne Forevermore, aka Micah Sigourney, along with production manager and researcher Ben McGrath, and music by Paige Turner. I was your host, Honey Mahogany. Stay studly, everyone.